Welcome to the Kinks and Beatles Daily Deep Dive. I'm your host, Tony Fry. This is episode 239, where we are discussing Dear Boy by Paul McCartney. Thank you for streaming on YouTube, uh, listening on our podcast feed, or checking us out wherever you are. Wherever you are. Um, speaking of YouTube, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can participate in upcoming live streams. You can set reminders. You can get um, uh, the archives. As I'm add, I'm adding all those old audio only episodes. I'm adding them to YouTube for as an archive, so you can go and pick an album that you like, and that's going to be separated as a playlist. You go pick that album, and you can listen to all the episodes we've done for songs on that album in one spot. So, if you subscribe, you can get all that information and more. And then, of course, um, you. Uh, will just be helping us out, which is very much appreciated. We have a bonus episode coming out March 26th um, on YouTube Live at 11.45 a.m. Pacific Time where we're just looking at the album covers, uh, the best, the worst, uh, commentary, backstory, history on all of them from the bands as well as the solo artists. And this is going to be exclusive for people who have contributed to the podcast um, for two months. So uh, if you've contributed prior or in the next week between now and the 26th, you should get an email with how to um, join the live stream as well as view the archive. And the archive will be exclusive to you guys for two months, and then it will go public as a video episode. Um, so this one will never be an audio episode, so you will have to swing by YouTube eventually if you want to watch it. So today, like I mentioned, we're talking about Dear Boy by Paul McCartney. This was released May 17, 1971 on the album Ram. Um, and I'm going to start out by pointing out, if you watched the episode I did uh, at the end of last week about the song Ram On, um, and I talked about how it's my least favorite track on the album, and I wish it was shorter, condensed, maybe just a, a tag to a song or a part of a larger song, um, I want to point out real quick that Ram On takes a little more than a minute more disc space than Dear Boy, which I would consider a near McCartney masterpiece. And it's a minute less than what I would consider the only filler on the album. Um, I'm reluctant to call this a masterpiece full out. I mean, this is Paul McCartney we're talking about. He is no stranger to composing a masterpiece. Um, but the melody, the vocal arrangement, the performance of this track is absolutely stunning. And I think maybe the only thing that stops me from calling it a full-on masterpiece is the fact that Uncle Albert, Albert is right after that, and that song is phenomenal. And and Backseat in My Car is a phenomenal... Like, this, this album has got so many great songs. Um, it's hard to rank the masterpiece. As was the case with many of the tracks on this record, John Lennon thought that the lyrics were uh, about him. It was another disc track directed directly at him. Uh, and, and Lennon's ability to read into McCartney's lyrics at this time was somewhere between next-level genius and next-level self-obsessed. Because if he thought Dear Boy was a veiled dig at him, he's really got to do some digging. And I think it's a little bit funny that he finds all this hidden meaning 
in these songs. There's these cryptic lyrics and everything is deeper than it seems. But then, you know, later on, he writes a, a song basically talking about how Paul can't write any lyrics of substance. Well, which is it, John? Is Paul a hack who can't write any lyrics of substance? Or is he this lyricist that can hide these deep meanings into all these songs that only you can interpret? It's a little bit odd. And I get, you know, a lot of that is born out of their relationship at the time, the situation revol revolving around the Beatles' breakup and the lawsuits and all that kind of stuff. But it's just, it's almost comical to hear where uh, John will pull these hidden meanings from. Um, to hear Paul tell the story, he was uh, always, he's always, does, always denied that it was about John. But he has claimed two different sources of inspiration for this song. On one hand, he describes it as being autobiographical, about that he didn't realize how much how great he had it with Linda until he wrote this song. Now, granted, they've only been married for like two years, three years at this point. I think they got married in 69. Um, so he's talking about, I didn't know how great it was. I didn't know how wonderful she was. I didn't realize what I had until I sat down and wrote this song. And then on the other time, the more recent interviews, um, he says that he's talking about Linda's ex-husband or talking to Linda's ex-husband through this song and I can definitely read into it both ways that Paul's writing to himself in in like the third person sort of even though it goes into the first person at some point um, but if you look at it as a second husband talking to a first husband it actually has a much stronger lyric and this is part of what bothers me about Paul McCartney when he discusses his songs is that 45 50 years after the fact we get this whole new revelation of his inspiration that we've never heard before right he didn't mention this song being about Linda's ex-husband prior to 2000 when Linda's ex-husband had um, died by suicide because at one point he actually says, I'm glad I never told him, considering that he killed himself down the line. So for 45 years, you were just making up the reasoning? Or did you change your mind? It's, it's a little bit frustrating. To, and they're all guilty of this. Maybe nobody did it more than John did in the decade between the Beatles' breakup and his death about rewriting the history of what they were writing and why they were writing it. But it is a little frustrating um, when you're trying to analyze the history of these songs, when you've got this, the, the composer contradicting himself. So looking at it as I'm going to do, as a first husband singing to a second, uh, a, a second husband singing to a first husband, rather. One line in particular, I guess you never saw, dear boy, that love was there. If you look at it as him singing it to Linda's ex, that line makes perfect sense, right? But if you're looking at it as Paul singing to himself, well, if Paul never saw that love was there, why'd he put a ring on Linda's finger? Right? He's married to this woman. 
So lyrically, it doesn't make sense. The the line that he gave us for 40 years um, doesn't really hold much weight because the the lyrics of the song don't really support it. But this newer narrative that it's about her ex, I think definitely makes a lot more sense. Um, and the song makes sense if it's the guy singing to the guy who left from the guy who has now arrived. There's one line of the song that drives me a little bit nuts, um, but only when I think about it too hard. Okay? And it's one of those that the words sound good in the song. It flows nice. It's got a nice meter to it. But then when you look at it grammatically, it's a little bit of a, a mind bender. And maybe when you look too hard, dear boy, you never do become aware. Now, in the context of the song, it doesn't bother me at all. But when I'm reading the lyrics, and maybe when you look too hard, okay, uh, you never do become aware. I think I know what he's trying to say. And I know why he chose the words that, you know, he, he had to put that do in there. Uh, you never do become aware. He had to throw that in there for to fit the melody that he already established. But it's such a, when you break it out of the song, uh, it's such a weird lyric. But it's like one of those things that I imagine, you know, he always tells a story about when he wrote Hey Jude, the movement you need is on your shoulder. And he thought, I'm going to toss that because it doesn't make any sense. And John was like, no, it makes perfect sense to me. Keep it. I kind of think this is one of those lines where it's like, it doesn't really make any sense. But if Paul just sings it as if it makes sense, it kind of makes sense. I'm not going to talk about it anymore because I don't want to ruin it for anybody else who doesn't have a problem with that line. Um, the song was recorded in March and April of 1971, making it the last track to be recorded for Ram. There was another song recorded during this session that we don't hear on this album. He holds on to that for a little while. But this is the last song that's on Ram that was recorded. And the final overdub session was only a few weeks prior to the album's release. Um... And I mentioned how earlier how great the backing vocals are, but I don't think I can really stress it enough because this may be the most Beach Boys Paul ever got in his solo career. Uh, there, there's layers, and the harmonies have harmonies, and the layers have harmonies, and there's this complex counterpoint to the main melody that covers the full range of Paul's voice. Right, ba da ba da ba da be da ba da 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 ba da ba da ba da dee da 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 da. But right, that's a very complex melody that goes from the bottom to the top of his range. I'd rank this song vocally among his best vocal performances easily, with the Beatles or solo. I think this ranks up there with his vocal performances and just the arrangement uh, of these harmonies I don't know I'm not good at arranging backing vocals like that I, I don't know how you just come up with that out of thin air but he really outdid himself on the backing vocals on this one for the harmonic analysis I'm going to get a little bit more complicated than you might imagine for this tune so Paul is basically in A minor 
But there's three kinds of minor scale. We've talked about this before. There's the natural minor, which is just as nature intended it, right? So in A minor, um, because the key signature has no flats and sharps, A minor has no flats and sharps. So it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Then there's the harmonic minor, which takes that seventh note, the G, and raises it a half step. So now we've got A, B, C, D, E, F, G sharp. And then there's the melodic minor, that when you're going up the scale, you add, you raise the six and the seven, A, B, C, D, E, F sharp, G sharp. But then when you come down the scale, it's just the natural minor, no flats and sharps. Okay, Paul is, because you've got different accidentals in there, either the G sharp or the F sharp, um, you have different chord qualities. And Paul is pulling the chords out of all three of these uh, minor scale patterns. Okay, so his first three chords, A minor, A minor 7, and F major 7. Those are all in natural minor. You've got A minor, A minor 7, and it's actually an A minor with the G in the bottom. But it's the same thing. And then F major 7. So that's just a 1, a 1, 7, and then a, a 6, 7. But then he throws in a B minor chord to E7 which both come from the melodic minor. You can't get that B minor chord because it's got an F sharp in it in anything but a melodic minor. So he does, does this B minor to E7, which is just a 2-5, really. Um, it's exactly a 2-5 in A major. But he's pulling these from the melodic minor. So we've got natural minor. To melodic minor and then he repeats and then after he repeats that phrase he's back into natural minor with um, six seven three five one seven and I actually I forgot to put that on the slide and for the chorus if you can call it that because it's not really a chorus it feels almost like a second verse um, he sticks to the natural minor for this one no chords from any other it's all natural minor but he shifts the focus to the four chord, in this case, D minor. So the chords he's doing, are, he's shifting to that D minor for the, uh, when I came in, my heart was down, and uh, da, 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 dee, da, 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 right? And from there, it's pretty straight ahead. It's four, three, seven, one, one, seven, six, seven, four, three, seven, three, seven, one. Now that seven, or that three, seven, that's C major to G major. So when he does that, when he goes back and forth between the 3 and the 7 chord, he's giving the illusion that he's actually shifted into C major, which is the relative major to A minor. They share the same key signature. So that's not even that far of a walk to get from A minor to C major. But he resolves that back and forth, you know. He resolves it to A minor. So he's giving the illusion that he's shifted to C major, but he's not. He's still at A minor. He's just going three seven three seven three seven three seven one, and it's a weird cadence point. You're not going to hear it very often, um, but that's exactly what he's doing there. So he never leaves A minor in some degree, but he does shift around between the the different minor um, alterations, and I think that's cool. He's giving you a bit of ambiguity without ever leaving 
tonal ambiguity without ever leaving his tonal center. Um, and to be able to use those all interchangeably really opens up your palette because he uses that E7, which he pulls from the harmonic minor, but later on in the, in the song we have an E minor, which is pulled from the natural minor. So you've got two different kinds of E chord in this song that are both technically in A minor, but like I said, he's, because he's pulling them from different places, but that also adds to the ambiguity of tonality. Because the E7 could resolve to A major, or pivot to any, you know anything else really, but that E minor is very steeped in A minor. It's it's cool, um, cool chord writing. Even though, like I said, it's not incredibly complicated. It's not super simple either, and it's that um, that simplicity in the harmonic movement that I think makes it. Uh, that made him able to compose that crazy vocal orchestration. I think if the the harmony was more complex, then that makes the the vocal composition composition more complex in turn. And so I think leaving this simple really opened up what he could do with those backing vocals. Um, I really love this song. And frankly, Dear Boy, Uncle Albert, and Smile Away may be the best side-closing sequence of any of his solo albums. This, These are the last three tunes of side one, if you're listening on the LP. And to close your side one with these three is a pretty great one-two-three punch. And it's also worth noting how present Linda's backing vocals are on this track. People give her a lot of crap for not being a great vocalist. Um, but she's holding her own on this track, and she's not buried in the mix. She is very much a lead uh, lead backing vocalist. And you know, say what you will about the quality of her voice or her abilities as a singer, even if she's just mimicking a guide vocal laid down by Paul, and I have no reason to believe one way or the other that that's how it happened. Um, this is a pretty demanding arrangement, whether you're singing it from memory or singing along. This is a demanding arrangement, and I think she just does a great job, and it sounds great on this mix. I had um, posted a poll on the live chat for our live stream on YouTube, so if you do have the time to visit our live streams when you're um, when we do them, make sure that you check the chat because I, I try to post a poll on every single one. Today's was, did you ever consider this song being about John? Three people voted. One, uh, two said yes. One said no. So even now, all these years later, 50 plus years later, there's still room for debate from fans whether this was a song about John or if it was, as Paul said, an autobiographical song or also, as Paul said, a song to Linda's ex-husband. That's all I've got for today. Um, I thank you for listening or watching. If you'd like to get a hold of me, please do email me at kinksandbeats at herohabit.com. You can call me in at 925-494-1739. I like to play those voicemails on the show from, for periodically. And, uh, of course, you can find me on all the social medias. We have a subreddit, a Facebook group, a Twitter page, an Instagram account, a TikTok account, all those things. And, of course, please do subscribe to the YouTube channel um, using that button right there. Um, so that we can uh, continue offering some bonus footage and uh, exclusive content. All right, 
Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you tomorrow when we're back to the kinks.